One man's desire to adopt, one woman's reluctancy to adopt, and the family's journey to embracing two brothers from Sierra Leone, taking their family of six to a family of eight. You're listening to Rock Your Kindness, a new podcast presented by Love What Matters and dedicated to highlighting incredible stories surrounded by kindness. I'm your host, Tracy Farron, author, speaker, cancer thriver, and online creator. But what I really love to do is inspire others to be kinder to themselves and those they encounter. Because you never know how your kindness can change the trajectory of not just your life, but the life of another. Our love story started in high school, our sophomore year. We even went to driving school together. That's how long we've known each other. We talked about wanting a loud, chaotic house full of kids, barking dogs, and a crazy Christmas morning. Joe and I both grew up in divorced homes with one sibling. We were loved and cared for, yet I remember being jealous of my friends with lots of siblings and crazy household happenings. We were married after college while Joe was finishing law school and I was working full time as a high school teacher. Our sophomore year of school, first day of school, Mrs. Thornburg, global world class, she put us in alphabetical order and my maiden name is West. And so Joe Walker and then I, Jamie West, sat right behind him. And on the first day, I think she gave us like a, what do you already know kind of quiz about the world. For me, it was very little. <laughs> and so it was like population questions and all this kind of stuff. And I happened to glance to the right and on the wall were all of these maps with like literally every answer we need to know. So I tapped Joe on the shoulder. No idea who he was with like my pencil. And I was like, all the answers are over there. And Joe will tell you that it was like turn around and the birds started chirping and he had no idea who I was or how he had gone so long without knowing me. I was not that way. (laughs) I just was helping somebody in school. That class grew a friendship and we were really great friends. We went to driving class together and I had a boyfriend already. He was a senior and then he went to school and I was home and Joe and I just kept getting closer and eventually our junior year started dating boyfriend and girlfriend like you do in high school. We went to proms together. We went to college together. At the heart of it then and still really now is we were just really good friends. We really enjoy each other's company and laugh at the same things and enjoy the same things. So it's just a good friendship at the heart of who we are. Right after college, Joe actually went up to Cleveland for a job. I finished my student teaching and then moved up there with him. And then he went into law school at the University of Dayton, and I got my first teaching job back in Dayton. And so we had a cute little condo, a little townhouse, and got married maybe two years after that. He was still in law school, and I was getting my master's, just living a very full paycheck-to-paycheck kind of life like you're supposed to do in your 20s. Once my graduate degree was complete and Joe was officially a working corporate litigation attorney, we started our family. Our first son was born and 20 months later, our second. We settled into the routine of working, daycare, brothers, and good suburban life surrounded by close family and friends. We had a boy 
And then 20 months later, we had another boy. And I kept working that whole time. For both of them, I took basically a full semester off of maternity leave. But Joe was working full time as an attorney. So I was able to stay home for a good chunk of time with both of the boys, but then sent them right back to daycare. Staying at home as a full time mom was never on my radar. I really enjoy working and structure and responsibility. I really like grownups a lot. So the idea of not working just was never something I considered, maybe not in the classroom, but not having a job. I'd had my first job when I was like 14. It just was not something I had ever considered or that we considered as a family either. A small window before the next pregnancy came and this one with a real big shock. Twins. No, they did not run in our family or any other myth you've likely heard. They were a surprise, a double surprise. When we brought the girlies home, we had four children, four and under. But then we had twins. Mm, yes. <laughs> then when we were pregnant with the twins, which was a huge shock, there are no twins anywhere in our family. I'd actually had a really early miscarriage, the cycle before that. So it was just all very interesting and shocking to both of us. When we brought the girls home, we had four, four and under. And no teacher I have ever met makes enough money to send four children to daycare, especially infants. So I'm thankful that Joe had a job that I could stay home financially and that he had benefits. It kind of forced our direction that way. So I was home for about two and a half years just with all my babies and doing early fives and preschool with the second one. And yeah, it was chaotic and crazy. And I think a lot of it is blacked out except for the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I have like tons of photos of my kids when they were younger and I randomly will go through and I'm like, I am so glad I have them because unless I see Mm -hmm. the photo, Mm-hmm. That memory just, I have to have that photo to trigger it because I can't remember, but mine were all young too, with four of them. It was exhausting. Last all the time, how do you do it? And the answer is always like, I have no idea. I just don't have a choice not to do it. Like, this is what I do. And I'll let you know, maybe when I'm 60, how it all went down, <laughs> but you don't know how you do it. You just do it. You just do it. I know. It's like, sorry, no tangible tips or tools from me. You just got to get through it. (laughs) My husband always says, survive in advance, survive in advance. Just get through the day, survive in advance. But I love that, the Time Hop app, because it reminds like, you know, sweet videos of the girls when they were babies and being at each other. I just posted one of them doing ballet when they were four. That's just precious. And I am so glad that I have those photos to remember because otherwise it is just such a blur. It really is. And I know my Mm -hmm. husband because he worked and I stayed home in the beginning of our marriage full time. And he would come home and based on the look on my face and know, all right, kids, everyone load up. We're going to McDonald's. And he would just be gone for two hours because he just knew mom needed a break. Our house was full. I stepped away from the classroom. It cost more than my salary to send all four children to daycare. Staying at home was not something I dreamed of doing. I'm a woman who enjoys working, structure, and grown-ups from time to time. I was thankful we had the choice with Joe's career and benefits, but also anxious about how my mind would cooperate. A few months after the girls were born, Joe decided to take one for the team. So we would no longer be able to have children. The day of the surgery, he said to me, I'm going through with this. If you promise we can adopt someday. 
I giggled, patted him on the head and said, yeah, right, sure, whatever, babe. We were in no position to adopt. I had no desire to adopt and I was done with the raising of babies. The moment we found out that there was twins and one of the first things Joe said was like, okay, that's it. Like no more babies. And I was like, oh, that means I can't get pregnant anymore. Like I really liked being pregnant. And then obviously that four was enough. And it was just like, okay, I did this. You do that. He did it like on Mother's Day weekend. So I took like a picture of the urology office. It's like, happy Mother's Day to me. (laughs) And he totally flippantly and like off the cuff that morning was like, okay, if I'm doing this, you have to promise me that you'll be open to adoption someday. Because Joe thinks and still believes, and it's the sweetest thing, but he thinks the thing that he is best at in this world is being a dad. And he was like, what if I want to be a daddy? <laughs> he was panicking. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, fine. Knowing full well, that's a ridiculous thing. And you're crazy. We're done. Like, this is it. And it just kind of happened. And it was funny. We are one of the couples that never did the follow-up. So we always joke, like, I'm going to be the 48-year-old woman who happens to get pregnant again. And I'll be like, oh, of course, of course, that that would be my luck. (laughs) (laughs) He made that comment about, I'll do this, but you have to promise that one day we might adopt. But did you think he was just like talking out of his butt? Yes, 100%, 100%. We had never discussed it, thought about it, didn't know anybody who did it. We had four healthy children. Like we would have no reason to adopt or talk. It was totally just a flippant joke. So no. Do you think that he always had that desire? No, I don't. We have a very sarcastic sense of humor. Like we make inappropriate jokes at inappropriate times in a sarcastic (laughs) way. And so I think that was just one of those times where it was like, okay, I'll do it. But because he does constantly talk or say or mention that the thing he's best at in the world is being a dad. He knew full well that I was not having any more children from me. And I was like, you can have more. You just can't have them with me. (laughs) We're done. I'm done. Yeah. Shop closed. I honestly just think it was a joke that had no full weight or meaning to it. Yeah. For us anyway, I guess it put something out into the universe it's beyond our control. The guy upstairs was like, oh, okay. Oh, you're not happy. Oh, you're not going to adopt. Okay. Let me show you what I can do. (laughs) Let me show you what I can do. In the summer of 2013, I started a new business. I had been home with my little people for two and a half years, and it was time for mom to have something for herself. Thankfully, Joe agreed and supported my decision to start something new. The additional income was nice to have, but it was the community and grown-ups I desired the most. That same summer, Joe was looking for a new opportunity, a new challenge. This led us to move states away from where we grew up, where we met, where all of our family was. We packed up and headed to North Carolina. Thankfully, my business is one that moves with me, so I was able to keep the community and continue to work for extra income. It wasn't our biggest season as a family. We all struggled in our own ways for a bit. As our comfort in a new place grew, we met new families and neighbors and all the pieces fell into place. A lot of what the last couple of years have taught us with all of the craziness is that we don't necessarily need to be tied to a space in order to be effective and to be a little bit more creative with our energy and our time and who and how we're serving and where and why and all of those things. When I started my business, I told my husband at one point, like, I 
would be someone's secretary. If I could just go someplace by myself for a couple of hours with grownups, I could tell I was losing a little bit of myself and I was so desperate to hang on to that identity, not just for myself, but for my children. I wanted them to see that I'm not just a mom, not that's not enough, but I wanted them to see a lot more sides of me, who I was as a human, not just air quotes, just a mom. While enjoying a trip I earned with my business, Joe and I met a couple we instantly connected with. Jason and his wife, Erica, are the founders of The Raining Season, an orphanage located in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Joe and Jason became good buddies and spent lots of time talking about their passion for children and what each of them was doing to make a difference. Joe expressed an interest in going to visit the orphanage next time Jason went. As a family, we sponsored children at TRS and made donations whenever we could. Joe is a giver that likes to get his hands dirty, play with the kids, and make connections. I am more of the write the check, connect the donors, spread the word kind of giver. I had no desire to travel to this part of the world to visit the orphanage or to get my hands dirty, so to speak. Joe couldn't wait to get there. Jason and Erica started an orphanage in Sierra Leone called The Raining Season. And at that point, Joe was either thinking about it or had just walked away from the legal world and was really interested in social service and being involved with children. He is a kid guy. Like that is his thing. He loves playing with kids and impacting them positively, like getting his hands dirty with them. And he was doing a lot of work with Pencils of Promise, another really great organization fundraising and building schools for them. And he met and had lots of conversations with Jason about the raining season. And again, just kind of said, whenever you go, I would love to go and see it and get on the ground. And Jason's like, okay, when do you want to go? It was really kind of that flippantly and quickly that this would have been in the summer. And Joe went in January. They founded the orphanage. It's a really great story that it's not mine to share, but out of their own desire to adopt and finding a child. And they've adopted, I think four, maybe five from Sierra Leone and have taken many teens over and grown it into a really respectable orphanage in Sierra Leone. They were good friends of ours and Joe and Jason and one other gentleman went in January of 2019. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. January 2019, Joe prepared for his first visit to Sierra Leone, 
lots of shots, the visa paperwork, bug spray and supplies the orphanage asked travelers to bring. This wasn't the first time we'd waved him goodbye for an adventure trip. The previous year, Joe traveled to Guatemala with the Pencils of Promise organization. He had fundraised enough to build two schools through their organization. They selected him, among other big givers, to travel to see their dollars at work. Joe had walked away from his legal career and turned his attention to coaching others. He became John Maxwell certified and held a variety of learning masterminds for adults. What he charged for the course, he donated 100% to POP. All that to say, we were used to Joe going away to foreign lands for children in need. Kids are his jam. I had to look on the map to identify Sierra Leone the first time I heard of it. Found on the western coast of Africa, it's the seventh poorest country in the world and not very easy to reach. Planes, boats, and autos are required. Joe arrived at the hotel on Saturday night, took a shower, and got his rest for a full day at the center. They made the short walk up the hill to the orphanage from the hotel Sunday morning to a group of singing, clapping, and joyful children, followed by devotions in the church led by a young man named James. Joe was impressed with how well-spoken, confident, and articulate this boy was. As the week went on, they spent hours together playing handball, cards, soccer, and taking lots of snaps. Joe came home with a resolve to mentor James as best as we could. At this point, adoption was nowhere on the radar. You met James in 2019. Usually when you arrive in Sierra Leone, it's late on Saturday night. And the hotel we stay at is literally just a few hundred yards from where the orphanage is up a hill. And so you walk to the orphanage on Sunday morning and they're doing devotions and having their church service. So that was the first time that Joe experienced the center and James was doing the devotions and giving the worships and the praise. So he got to experience James right away. Just really well-spoken, very passionate, just a great charismatic, powerful energy of a kid. And Joe was instantly drawn to him as not what he expected to come across. You're going to an orphanage in the sixth poorest country in the world and just was, oh, wow, like taken aback by him. And so he spent quite a bit of time with James during that week playing games and getting to know him and having conversations as well as all of the other boys and, and girls just really loved his time and came home from that trip, not with a desire to adopt James at all, just to be really involved and mentor him and however he could. We had been sponsoring, I think, four children before that. So we added James onto our sponsor list, which allowed us to Skype with him once a month. So then just kind of developed that friendship, but did not come home from that saying, Jamie, I want to adopt this boy. It was really just, let me tell you about this really cool kid. And here's some ideas I've had of things I want to do for the center. July 2019, Joe made his second trip to TRS to see James and to meet his brother, Abraham. Prior to this visit, both boys had been forcibly reunited with their family, and they knew it was only a matter of time before they would be back on the streets fighting to survive. The staff at TRS worked hard to get both boys back to the center in record time, and Joe was able to see them again. Behind the scenes, Joe was trying to create a reading program for the center. He was also trying to coordinate with a local youth soccer club on the ground. 
He had a lot of invested energy in TRS and the future of all the kids, not just the two he was drawn to. So on another trip that summer, it was in June. June is James's birthday. So we were with Jason and Erica again, and we had like a special Skype with James to wish him happy birthday. And that same day, we found out that James was going to be what they call it forcibly reunified. So James was picked up off the streets originally and brought to the raining season. The raining season was acting almost like a holding ground until the organization that brought them in could figure out placement or what to do with them. And so this organization decided that it was time for James to go back with his mother, who was still alive and accessible. So when we found out about that, we talked to James again, and he was really upset about it. He knew that he'd be back on the streets again pretty soon, not because his mother doesn't love him or care for him, but she cannot afford to feed him. And in their culture, in that part of their country, if women are widowed, so both James and Abraham's fathers had died. So if it's a widowed woman and you have sons living in your home, you are not considered attainable because your son may be seen as the man of the house and you as the man want to be the man of the house. And so in order for her to be fed and eat and have a home, she has to abandon her sons so that a man will take ownership of her. Wow. It's really terrible. It's like even hard for me to say. So that was in June of 2019. We were able to organize getting James a cell phone that he could take with him. And so then he and Joe were able to use WhatsApp pretty much every day to stay in contact. And during that period, when he was home with his mother is when Joe met Abraham. We didn't even know Abraham had existed. Abraham had been at the raining season, but was forcibly reunified before Joe went in January. He kind of missed him in that first visit. So we met Abraham over the Skype and worked really hard to get James and Abraham back at the raining season. The mother really wanted to get them back. She was really concerned about having them back in her care. She knew she couldn't feed them, etc. So Joe got the boys back at the raining season by about the end of July. So it took about a full month of just lots of paperwork and affidavits and signatures and all kinds of things that we needed to do for the mother to essentially relinquish her guardianship of the children and gave it to the raining season. And as soon as they were back in the raining season, Joe went again in August to see James and to meet Abraham. Joe came home different from this second trip. He felt we were being called to do more. Joe approached me with the idea of adopting the boys, and I said he was crazy. Our lives were plentiful and chaotic enough. I would be happy to support them financially in any way we could, but I did not see us adopting any children. It wasn't our plan. It wasn't my plan. And when he came back from that trip, (laughs) it was a little more called to a bigger move. And he said, I think we're being asked to do something more. And I said, I think you're crazy. Like we're not, no, we're not adopting these children. I will write as many checks as you want. We can send them to school, whatever it takes, but we don't need to adopt them. And we had that back and forth for about a month. My hesitations, they just didn't want to. Nothing about it felt like the right direction for our family or me personally, or I'd never met them. I never wanted to go to a third world country. I am the check writer and Joe is the child player. I would love to support all of the organizations financially in any way that I can. 
He likes to go and play and get his hands dirty. Like those are the roles that we play and both are necessary. After a few weeks of back and forth, I agreed to go meet them for myself. I realized as a wife, if I didn't make this effort, there would be resentment in our lives together and it would be on me. So it came to a point where I realized that I needed to go so that I could have something to say no to. Otherwise, there would be resentment in some fashion. Either he would resent me for not trying or at least meeting them or giving them the benefit of the doubt, not going and seeing it for myself. If I just said, okay, fine, whatever, and let his voice come in, I would resent him for totally changing the dynamic of our family. And so there needed to be a give and that give was me going. So I went the first weekend of November in 2019. I went with people I did not know. And that was intentional because I didn't want to have any outside influence into who I was or why I was there or what the experience was like. There had been a lot of trips where like a whole group of Rodano Fields women would go or a whole group of this one church would go. You would go on, they would open the center to these trips. And I just wanted to go totally anonymous, if you will, with no connection so that I could be fully present and just in my own little space. I planned my trip and truly went so I could have something to say no to. November 2019, I also landed in the dusk. Monday morning, we made our way up to the center and I was a ball of butterflies. No idea what to expect, what was expected of me, or anything in between. I first met Abraham. He came barreling at me, arms wide, eyes bright, and smile exploding. He was smaller than I imagined him to be, but I immediately felt at ease around him. James was at school, so I knew I wouldn't meet him until later in the day. We toured the orphanage, met the aunties, and delivered the supplies. While seeing the cooking area and the water pump, I had the feeling of being watched come over me. The hair on my neck stood up and my hands turned clammy. I looked around and my eyes landed on a handful of boys watching us from a balcony outside the center. They looked, I looked, and then James smiled and waved. It was magnetic. It was a shift and it scared the crap out of me. The rest of the week, I asked questions. I observed the boys. I observed myself. I let the what if come in and linger. When I was leaving to go home, I said to one of the adults, if I had to decide right this very minute, I would bring them home with me right now. But I didn't have to. I couldn't actually. I needed to go home, be home, feel home, and detox emotionally. The trip is emotionally draining on every level. Regardless of if you know the children or not, I spent most nights crying myself to sleep just from the exhaustion of feeling all the things. I needed a space so I could see if how I was feeling for James and Abraham was simply the moment or if it was the next step for our family. So Abraham literally just came barreling at me like you think any young child would. Took my bag immediately and just walked around holding my hand. They both speak English. And so there wasn't a lot of 
difficulty understanding one another. Not that there is with children in general, I think, but he was a good translator because the aunties, a lot of them don't speak great English. He immediately was just kind of attached to my hip. It felt very natural to hug him and be around him. James was at school and he's considered one of the older boys and they go to school outside the center to another building. So he wasn't on site when I arrived. And so we were getting a tour of the facility and in the back of the compound is where like they have the well to pump the water and it's this outdoor kind of shanty kitchen and they're showing us the garden and whatnot. You know, you get that feeling that somebody's looking at you and you just like, like who is staring at me? I could just feel the sense of that. And I looked up and in like the balcony above where we are was what I assumed was James just like staring daggers of a smile. If you've seen him on social media, it is that piercing in person as well, just smiling. It was an instantaneous shift, whatever you call it or believe in or God universe, whatever, there was a shift and it was instant and immediate. And like someone just kind of turned the lights on. And then it was just kind of all over from there. <laughs> so you go out there thinking, I'm doing this because I love my husband. Again, we're doing the mutual yeah. respect. It's a give and take. Yeah. You know it's needed, yeah. but you're doing mm-hmm. it to collect the data, the information to say, I went, I saw, and it's a no. <laughs> I did. Absolutely. Not. I went to find so that I could say no. Yeah, 100%. And I was there about 12 hours, I feel like, before I was not saying no anymore. He was very strategic. He didn't ask me any questions. He wasn't like, so what'd you think? Or any of that while I was there. Being in that place, I cried myself to sleep every night, not because of the individual child of James, but just the place is so overwhelmingly beautiful and brutal and heavy and hard. So I would talk to him about that. And then I just would start to ask questions like, so what if, or what does it look like when, or what's the timeline? And he could tell that my heart was opening up to it for sure. If someone told me right then, like you have to decide right now, take them or leave them. I would have taken them no questions asked and just (laughs) figured it out later. That's kind of how I do things, I think. But I didn't, I didn't have to decide right then. I needed to go home and like detox, emotionally detox and give myself some space from this because that is not a decision to make while you're there in it because we would all come home with all of them. Like we'd just bring them all home and that's not the best case scenario for any of them. And so I knew I needed to get home. I needed to emotionally detox. I needed to talk to all of my biological children individually and in pairs and in groups and in in different situations and just really process it and think it through. For the next few weeks, we talked in, around, out, under, and through adopting the boys. We talked together. We talked in twos, in groups. We talked in circles. Our children had big questions we couldn't really answer. What grade will they be in? And where will they sleep? Deciding to move forward came to one simple thing, trust. Our children had to trust that we, their parents, had their best interest at heart, that we would not knowingly jeopardize their future or our family, that we loved them above all else. And we, the parents, had to trust them, trust our children. We had to trust that they would ask questions, say if they felt left out, and come to us with the good and bad. We decided if we could all agree to trust one another, we had a chance to do something really cool for these two boys. And then it came to like this kind of 
pivotal day, I had dropped off some of the littles at school and I was coming home and our two boys were home. And I told them a story about myself and my own childhood. And when I was in middle school and I had been golded almost for feeling the way that I felt at the time in the situation. And I said, looking back, it doesn't really feel fair because I was feeling like any 13 year old should. And really what this situation comes down to is trust. You have to trust that mom and dad will never make a decision that doesn't have you at the forefront of their decisions. We're not going to put you in jeopardy or in harm's way or love you less. You know, you have to trust that truth. We have to trust that you are going to come to us if you feel uncomfortable or left out or uncertain or not loved as much or whatever it is. And if we can all agree to trust each other in all of those situations, then we have a chance to do something really cool for a couple of really cool kids. And we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, okay, we can do that. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We also gave James and Abraham the choice. They were old enough to decide for themselves if this was a road they wanted to take. We gave them a couple of days to come up with the pros and cons. They were mostly afraid of the airplane ride, but definitely wanted to be a part of our family. In early December, we had just gotten back from our trip and we had filled out the paperwork to start the process. And so we spoke with the director over there. Like I said, Joe's got a great relationship with him and said, we want to ask them and then we want to give them a couple of days and have an answer. Like we don't want to ask them on the spot. We want them to have some thought into it, pros and cons, if you will. And so we went through that and then we came back and they had like their lists of the things that they were afraid of. And the airplane ride was the number one for both of them, just flying. <laughs> we're like, okay, we can handle an airplane ride. For them, it was more, they just wanted a family. Yeah. They just wanted a family. They wanted a family to belong to someone to call dad someone to call mom brothers and sisters that were all together that's all they wanted we officially started the process around thanksgiving 2019 we were fortunate enough to be able to send joe and our two bio boys back to sierra leone in january 2020 it was important to us that they see where their new brothers were coming from and that they met They spent the week playing soccer and games on phones. Teenage boys are the same in all countries. So Joe took the boys in January of 2020. So right before the world went crazy. Oh, right before. Literally, 
two months, like we had just started hearing about the cruise ships and they traveled on the way there through London. I have a brother that lives over there to the south and saw him for a day. The boys went to Paris. These kids like lived the life. And then they went to Sierra. And it was really important to Joe and I, one, that the boys saw where James and Abraham would be coming home from. We'd heard a lot of horror stories about hoarding and stealing. And I don't mean that negatively intention, like they have this like survivor's mentality. We just wanted them to see what their lives were like before they got to live ours. And we also wanted them to meet. Joe and I both said, we didn't realize how much stress and anxiety was kind of like weighing on us about that moment that they finally met for the first time until it went well. And we're like, oh, okay. The world then looked a lot different in 2020. We weren't able to Skype any longer. The orphanage was completely shut down and isolated to safeguard all from the virus. We weren't able to travel. We weren't able to process paperwork. We felt stuck. The longer it took, the more the boys aged, the more time we were missing. But still, we never lost hope. In October 2020, we had a Skype meeting with the Sierra Leone Family Agency. After a few questions, the consulate approved us as the dependents of James and Abraham. In Sierra Leone, we were their parents. The next step was to get the U.S. government to agree to the same. After many months of denials, appeals, refiles, affidavits, and so much frustration. We actually got the approval a week in October. Total side story, ironically, but one of my girls actually had brain surgery on October the 10th. We found a cyst. It was just a fluke and she's totally fine now. But while we're in the hospital having brain surgery and recovering from brain surgery, we get the email that the magistrate wants to like Skype with us on Friday. I'm like, of course, we don't. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. So we get home from the hospital on Thursday, around the clock medications, whatnot, get up on Friday, doing, you know, the same top up, we're dressed. I try to like make myself look like I'm not a zombie. And we're Skyping with the officer in Sierra Leone, who's asking us questions about raising the boys and all that kind of stuff. And then like does the stamp. And so it took A little less than a year, like 11 months on Sierra Leone time, over 2020. So we've got COVID in there. They were like our children. They just happened to live in Sierra Leone. And then we start the United States process. And that took really another full year. We had a lot of roadblocks on the United States side. Through all of 2020, we had no Skypes because the center was in total lockdown. They survived Ebola years ago, so they had a really good action plan in place to survive COVID. The hardest part for me of that was how hard it was probably for them. We finally received notification we were approved to adopt the boys. This was in September 2021, and ironically, Joe had also been approved to travel and visit the boys. The letter showed up in our mailbox at home the same day Joe arrived in Freetown. I shared it with him while James was in the room. The hug and shouts of relief were magic. It was finally time to bring them home. Joe came home for a few weeks while we waited for the visa paperwork and medical requirements to be completed. He booked a one-way ticket at the end of October, and they all three landed on U.S. soil November 5th, 2021. Almost exactly two years to the date, I had landed in Sierra Leone for the first time. 
But as soon as the country opened up and the center opened up, I think July of 2021, Joe immediately went just so he could see them. And while he was there, which was one of the worst like travel experiences he had with like delayed flights and COVID testing, all of that kind of stuff. While he was there, I got the letter from the USDS that we had been approved. And so he landed in the middle of the night. And by the time he called me or FaceTimed me with James, like our morning there afternoon, I had both the boys with him. I was able to tell them like in person that we'd been approved. And it was like a noise I'll never forget. Like the most <laughs> joyful eruption. It was wonderful. It was such good timing. And so Joe did everything he could on the ground while he was there to kind of get that process started. But it involves medical appointments and different tests and again, paperwork and all of the things. And we got a date for, gosh, I think it was like October 29th of like, this is the date that you're going to go to the courts and they're going to stamp all the stuff and they'll be yours. And then you have to wait like two or three days for the visas to process. So he bought a one-way ticket there at, towards the end of October and then just kind of did what he could to be the pushy American <laughs> to get people moving as fast as they could. There were so many nuances of like, two steps forward, four steps back as those days went on, but they landed on November 5th of 2021. Walker Party of Eight was officially all together, all home, a family. We've kept track of many of their first, but really everything has been new to them. Escalators, dry erase boards, blankets, the pantry, it's all new. They had their first meal at Chick-fil-A at the airport. Their first time through the car wash was hysterical. First Thanksgiving, first Christmas, first day of American school, first birthday cake. Birthdays weren't a big celebration where the boys came from, especially not birthday cakes. When we gathered as a family to sing to Abraham, he couldn't keep control of his emotions. His cake had a track hurdler on it and a toy car, his favorite things, and it had his name. It was a cake just to celebrate him. It was a moment our family will never forget. It took us a minute to realize he wouldn't know about blowing out candles and making a wish. Another first. We had to figure out like how our house ran versus where they came from. And we had to figure out how to fit them into our house versus how it was before. And so it was just kind of that, like kind of walking around like, oh no, this is how we do that. Or this is where this goes or teaching them our lives and making space for them to fit into it. I feel like we're still kind of doing that. Abraham just blew up an egg in the microwave the other day. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why are you putting eggs in the microwave? He's like, I don't it know. Cooks things. I thought it would cook it. <laughs> so like that stuff is still happening. That stuff is still happening. But imagine the stories like, look, I know the moment's like, oh gosh, dang it. Okay, we got to clean it. But when they're older, telling all these stories, it'll just be so much laughter. Remember that one time you put an egg in the microwave thinking you could cook oh, yeah. it? Over where they come from, celebrating birthdays is not mm -hmm. a thing or is it just not as common? In the orphanage, they do a good job of it. They have a birthday party every month for that month. So if your okay. birthday's in July, there's a party in July. Before that, living with their mother, certainly not. So if they don't really celebrate birthdays, they get up in the morning and they try to think about where they're going to find food. So they don't have that kind of longevity outlook like we do. 
Abraham's birthday was in May and he had seen my birthday and the twins birthday. He had had some experience with how we celebrate them. In our house, we do presents when you come down in the morning, kind of like your own Christmas morning. So all your presents are out and balloons are up and whatnot. And then we do the cake over dinner later that night. And so we did his presents this morning. He was super excited and had a great time. But I just had this instinct that he was really excited about the cake. Usually I just do like my own little handmade Duncan Hines cakes, right? But I got this his first one. I said to one of my bio boys, I said, this, wait, what are we going to do? Like, this has to be, big. he's going to be really excited about this cake. It's got to be spectacular. So I had like a local cake maker, because I am not a baker, make a cake and put hurdler on it and jukebox because he loves music and he loves cars. So I knew it was going to be spectacular and exciting for him. I certainly had no idea the emotion that would come out from it. And then what that would turn into when I shared it, that has been so powerful. So we've been sharing this journey since 2019. And when I posted the birthday cake video, it was just me sharing more of all of the other things that I have done in the past. And it hasn't stopped. He's going to be 20 before we stop talking about his birthday cake. That's what we joke about. So then James's birthday came in June. And I really did not anticipate James's reaction because he is the older, sulky teenager who doesn't have any feelings or emotions, right? <laughs> Most teenage boys do. And so his was also just as a powerful as an emotion. What do the boys think, James and Abraham, about how viral these birthday videos went? What are their thoughts? They have absolutely no idea. They don't understand it. They don't understand social media. Abraham calls it the TikTok and they're not on any social media. And so every once in a while, their friends will be like, James, blah, 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 is this you? And they just laugh about it. They think it's so funny and weird. Abraham said something about how somebody said something about him crying. And I was like, oh, were they making fun of you? He goes, oh, no, 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 mom. They were not making fun of me. They thought it was so cool that I was crying on the TikTok. (laughs) Okay, so they're totally clueless as to what viral means, what social media is, or how it works. Or when the Facebook video had gotten to like a million people or something, they don't even know how many people that is. They have gone from this little bubble to this bubble. And trying to connect those two is a constant daily thing like how those two things work and then how the whole world works they have no idea our adoption was not a typical one but i'm not sure any of them really are we met our boys first and then decided to adopt typically it's the other way around we are not adoption experts only experts in our own story and family. It is hard to feel equipped to bring home two young men that have lived a lifetime of hardship before meeting you. As a mother, I can get lost in thinking about all the things I don't know about these boys. They didn't come with a baby book of moments and memories like the ones that are ingrained in my heart from my bio children. Instead, I try to focus on what I do know about them the memories we're making now together, and the light our story has shown for so many. Going through all of this as a family, what kind of perspective have James and Abraham 
brought into your guys's family as a whole, as an individual, but what has this done for yeah. you as well? Going from not going to happen. You're crazy <laughs> to really opening yeah. your heart to these two boys. It's perspective, hands down perspective for all of us. The things that come up that were like, what? You thought what? We're just so like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. I just had to clean out their closets. We did it together, the three of us, because they've never had a closet. They don't know how like what goes in dressers or what gets hung up. They didn't know any of that. And I was like, of course you don't. Like, why didn't I think that you didn't? And the birthday cake, like, you don't know what blow your candles out means. You've never done it. That perspective of like, oh my gosh, so many things that we take granted. And there are so many simple pleasures in the day that our eyes are open to through them. It's a total blessing for us that the simple things really do go a long way. For me personally, I'm so glad that I got the word to not allow that resentment and to open myself up to just seeing what it was about. I think that it's pushed me so far beyond what I ever saw for myself, not even just as a mother, but just as a human. And it's given me many opportunities to practice self-compassion because I'm not always good or patient or quiet or soft. <laughs> We're still heavy in transitions and learning to grow together. Challenges arise every day, but nothing has been too difficult that we cannot work through together as a family. James and Abraham have given us so much perspective on what's important, what we take for granted, and how important family is. Just recently, we had some photos taken on our beach trip. When Abraham saw the new large canvas atop the mantle, he said, It's so cool to have a family. It's that simple. We are a family, a very blessed family. We can often forget the simple pleasures we have been blessed with. And it's not until we meet others and hear their stories that we realize what a vast difference there can be. Imagine being as excited as James and Abraham were from the simple pleasure of a birthday cake. Imagine going through life with the kind of excitement and gratitude as these two young men display. No, you don't have to adopt to make a difference in someone's life. But through small and simple things, you can make a difference in the life of others. If you know someone this story might resonate with, send them a link to this episode. Also, tag me on Instagram at Tracy Farron and let me know what part of this story resonated with you the most. The best way to help support this show is to rate, review, and subscribe. Your support means everything. Until next time, rock your kindness. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.